this man came in and sat down, and the secretary kind of perked up when she saw this man, who looked very low-key to me, overall, and in the where the button goes through the little buttonhole to hold up the overalls, there was a fishing fly, a dried fishing fly. So he said, well, I'll just sit down here, right here, and this little lady and talk to her till she's finished with the interview. Hello and welcome to A Pixie from Kilmarnock, a program about the people, places, and the history of the Northern Nick of Virginia. I'm your host, Pixie E. Curry. A breath of fresh air engulfed us on the northern neck. It had the sweet fragrance of change upon it, and we all inhaled deeply. Integration in public schools on the northern neck was two years old. My sophomore year at Northumberland Senior High School, formerly known as Northumberland High School, would prove to be one of the most significant times of my life. And it came in an MGB. I was lucky enough to have white teachers who helped to disquiet my fear that I was going to hate being taught by people who didn't want me in their class. Freshman year at Northumberland Junior High School, formerly known as Central High School, was my English teacher, Mr. Glancy, who showed us thrown of blood on 16 millimeter film. Thank goodness for AV Day. Handsome Mr. Zach retaking biology because I flunked Mr. Connor's class the year before. I didn't pay attention in class. Talking too much. Surprise! Then came my sophomore year, and with it, the beautiful, smart, and encouraging Mrs. Scritney. I interviewed her in January of 2022. Deirdre Grace Callahan is a freelance journalist author, and editor. For 30 years, she taught English and photography, first on the Northern Neck of Virginia, Nixon, Washington, D.C., and then for the Dennis Yarmouth District. For 15 years, she co-led a Cape and Islands poetry celebration for K-12 through poets. As a Christy McGuffey Fellow, she traveled the state working with teachers as writers ultimately publishing a classroom text, Windows and Mirrors. Bass River Press awarded her its 2018 Poetry Prize for her collection, Water Dreaming. She is the author of Fish Camp, North Jetty Tales, her history of a Casey Key, Florida landmark. Deirdre is currently at work on a series of meditative essays about beach plums. This is part one. My name is, if you're Irish, my name is Deirdre. If you're English, my name is Deirdre. When I had you in school. My married name was Scrantney, but my I'm back to my maiden name. And so my full name is Deirdre Grace K. 
Callahan. I was born August 24th, 1947 in Jersey City, New Jersey, although after my mother took me home from the maternity hospital, I was I never lived in Jersey City, New Jersey again, but I was that's where I was born. And they moved first to um, Arlington, New Jersey, near my father's parents, and then later we started moving around. I have a master's degree in English from Colorado State University with a focus on writing fiction and poetry. I had a kind of a double thesis there, and that was back in, I graduated from Colorado State in 79, quite a while ago. I taught, the first year I ever taught, of course, was when I taught you as a sophomore, you and your wonderful Northumberlandians, Northumberland Countyans. I don't know how to quite say that. Northumberland residents. And um, so I did wind up teaching a lot in my life, but also I have consistently been involved either full-time or part-time with different sorts of journalism, including photojournalism and also newspaper and magazine journalism. And eventually, just by a sort of a twist of fate, I wound up on the faculty of the Washington-Baltimore Center for Psychoanalysis in Washington, D.C., and three times a year, except during right now because everything's shut down, three times a year, three weekends a year, and one week in the summer, which happens here at my house, I'm involved with therapists who are both psychiatrists and psychologists and some social workers, but mostly psychiatrists and psychologists who are in the program because they want to write. And often they come thinking they want to write an article about bulimia or trauma, and they wind up writing novels and other things. It's, it's interesting what happens. And I've been doing that for, I think, about 15 years. I love it. And I'm hoping that the world will be well enough for us to have the week-long retreat here on the Cape this summer. I'm also in two writing groups, and we meet once a month here on the Cape. One of them is mostly poetry, and the other is mostly fiction or, and nonfiction, in other words, prose. And I write poetry for the poetry group and nonfiction and, and fiction for the other group. There were about, let me see, there's about six people in the, the one group and about 12 in the other. They're all lovely people, mostly women, but not all. We have a fantastic couple of male writers. Until we moved from Nebraska to Virginia, the summer of my, between my sophomore and junior years in high school, until then, I had almost always attended private, small girls Catholic schools. Although there was a time in England when I was in a small school that had boys and girls in it, but that was just one year, but it was, it was really um, in a great building that actually now George Harrison, eventually George Harrison, the Beatle, and his wife bought that building, and then he died, but she still lives in it. So there was a documentary about it once, and I got to see my old classrooms, <laughs> great hall and stuff. Then we moved to Virginia, and the, there was a waiting list for the private schools, so I went to the local, now just renamed, it used to be the Robert E. Lee High School in Springfield, Virginia, the awareness level ticked up a little finally in parts of the country. That name got changed, and I don't even know what it's changed to, but the school is still there. So I spent my junior and senior year in high school in Springfield, Virginia, living near near the school and having no uniform for the first time and no and having boys in the class in the building with us, which seemed to me completely fine. I mean, it wasn't a huge, it was a big difference. Also, the stuff like girls putting on makeup in the bathrooms and smoking. I mean, that just had never, never been. First time I started to ask a answer a question in a geography class. I had a geography class as a junior, and he asked a question and nobody answered. They just, we all just sat there. But I don't remember what the question was, but I remember I raised my hand and he called on me and I stood up next to my desk to answer it. And everybody started laughing. Because, of course, they didn't stand up next to the, uh, In my other schools, you stood up next to your desk. It's just everything. So I got, I got used to it, and I was in that class when the announcement came on the radio, on the loudspeaker system from the principal's office, that John Kennedy had been shot in Dallas, and I'll never forget it. My father at the time was working at the Pentagon. He was in the Air Force, but he was in something called... DIA, which is a sort of a cousin to the CIA. It means defense intelligence. And we had a moment of silence, and then they had brought the buses around, and took, we went home. And I said to 
Kenny, Kenny Wilbur was his name. He was two houses down from me, and we were sitting on the bus together in the seats. And I said, if my father's car is home, then Kennedy has died. And he, his, my father's car was home. So then I applied to different schools, and I picked Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is a Jesuit school. So I just wasn't back to uniform, but I was back to um, Catholic a, a Catholic school. And I don't. It was because of the journalism program and its reputation. It wasn't because my parents or me thought I should still be in a, in a Jesuit school. My father got a list of the top journalism schools in the country, and I think one of them was in Missouri. And I said, I'm not going to Missouri. I just. <laughs> I'm not going to Missouri. I didn't know anything about Wisconsin. It was on Lake Michigan, near Lake Michigan, a couple blocks of Lake Michigan, and it was freezing in the winter, but it was a lot of fun. I stayed there for four years, and I met Samantha's, where I met Samantha's father, Dan Scrantney. Got married in Milwaukee. That's the summer we graduated, which was 1969, June 16th, 1969, and then we moved to my parents' house in Springfield, Virginia, they were somewhere else. And I, I think they might have been in Australia or maybe they were wherever they were. They might have been in Rockwall, Texas, but wherever they were, they weren't in that house. They had been renting it out. We waited around in an apartment till the people left and we moved in. And I got a job at uh, teaching eighth grade at a nearby middle school and then later teaching high school English at, uh, not quite as nearby, but nevertheless, a, a Fairfax County public high school. Then we, Jan and I decided we wanted to go to England. My friend Linda Farrar, we had been friends in high school. Her husband was in Vietnam. He was a helicopter. He was training uh, soldiers to, to be helicopter, to, to fly helicopters. And so she was just kicking around. And her good friends of her parents in, in Springfield, Virginia, had, had retired down um, near Reedville. And they said, you know, there's lots of jobs down here because Linda had a teaching degree from Madison College. She contacted the principal at the elementary school in Calio, which at that point I was pronouncing Kaleo. What did I know? And so she she asked me if I would drive her down there because she was afraid she would get lost and she didn't hadn't been down that way. And that was no problem. So we, we tooled down to Fredericksburg. And as soon as we started heading east on, I guess it's Route 3, I was like, or maybe it was 17, but it was so beautiful. Suddenly there were all these trees and these, and then we get to Northumberland County and there's no, there was at that point no stoplight. It was just gorgeous. And I sat in her principal, and I can't remember his name, but I sat in like the office with where the secretary's desk was while she went in for the interview for this. She was going to be teaching, I think, history to maybe fifth graders. I can't, I think it was history. Then this man came in and sat down and the secretary kind of perked up when she saw this man who looked very low key to me, but he had an overalls and in the, where the button goes through the little buttonhole in the, to hold up the overalls, there was a fishing fly, a dried fishing fly. So he said, well, I'll just sit down here, right here. And this little lady and talk to her till he's finished with the interview. He started asking me questions and I explained what I was doing. And he found out that I was married and that we were going to go to England and just to travel and to write and stuff. And Jan had just gotten his master's in film at American University. That's what we were. That's why we came back to the D.C. area. Before he settled into some kind of film job, we had been saving money, and we decided we are going to go to England for a year, where I have most of my relatives live in England and Ireland. So he said, well, and he asked about, you know, I told him about school. I don't know. He just kept asking questions. I kept answering them. And I also... I struck up the conversation by asking him about fishing, and we had a good talk about fishing. I used to, to fly fish with my dad, and I quite like actually fishing. So that maybe gave him some kind of rapport with me. I'm not sure. But at the end of it, he said, um, well, why don't you wait a year and come down here, you and your husband come down here and teach for us? And I was completely flabbergasted because I had never thought about teaching and I certainly didn't have a teaching certificate because I hadn't taken any education classes, you know, the kind that you take about theory, I guess, and stuff. And neither had Jan because we were both in journalism. So he said, oh, we can get you conditional certificates. Then he drove us around the county and we went to a restaurant that was, it was attached to a gas station. 
We drove by Northumberland High School, and I remember looking at the brick and thinking it looked nice. And also, he took us on back roads, and it really is beautiful there, as you know, having grown up there. So then he took us to this restaurant, I remember, and he treated. We had, I I remember having, I think, mashed potatoes and meatloaf for lunch (laughs) with gravy and thinking it was kind of like an amazing lunch, just it was like a restaurant, but I mean, it was a restaurant, for God's sake, and I have no idea where that was. So then he said, he suggested I go home because Linda got the job. Linda was hired that day. She was thrilled, gave her something to do while her husband was in Vietnam and something different, you know, plus she had a teaching degree. So he said, why don't you go home and tell your husband about your husband about us? He said, you can come down here and teach for us for a year and then you can save up even more money and then you can go to England. Uh, Linda and I are jabbering on the way home because she said then we could get a house together and we could live together and I wouldn't be by myself. And you're right, you could save money and look how cute it is down here. And So I went home and did the old special dinner going. I mean, it should be on the Lucille Ball show or something. <laughs> I'm like making it all nice and turned on some music and he comes, he came in, he was like, wow, it smells so good in here. What's going on? I said, well, let me tell you, come to town. Let me tell you about my day. He may have even just asked me outright, how did it go with Linda down in wherever you went? So I, I suggested to him that we make an appointment to meet the principal and for him to see the, the area and to see if we could teach there for a year. And he was incredulous, understandably. He said, but Deirdre, we don't know anything about teaching. I said, well, we were students. And I said, and we're literate. You know, we're quite literate. And he said, but, 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 but. And I said, just come down there. Just take a look at it. And I said, as a photographer, because he, I said, you are just going to find it extremely photogenic down there. So I make an appointment to meet Mr. Pickett at his office. And uh, I love this part. We had... I think it was an an MGB at the time. I mean, I've had a string of sports cars because that's what I like, but I believe it was an MGB that maybe he had bought in England and had shipped over. That's another story. I'm not, I'm not, never mind about that. But we were in the the car and we pulled into Heathsville to the gas station. He was driving. He, he put down the window and he said, fill it up, of course. And then he said, where, could you give us direction? Because I didn't really remember where I was supposed to meet Mr. Pickett. And he said, could you give us directions to the, whatever it would be called, the administrative building, administration building, I suppose. Because at the time, as you know, they had just, the high school very recently been integrated. The school system had very recently been integrated way after the civil rights laws had passed, you know, years after it. I don't even know how anybody got away with it for that long. But I wasn't paying attention to anything about, like, just just go see what Jan thinks of teaching idea. We meet Mr. Pickett, and then he takes us to the high school. And John Durham, Mr. Durham, wasn't that his name? So Mr. Durham, he walks us, his door is open to his office. He's sitting in his, at his desk with this one little light on. And he said, um, Mr. Durham, I, I'd like you to meet Mr. and Mrs. Scrantney. Oh, on the way down, Jan and I were practicing. We, we didn't know what to ask him. So we decided to ask things like, well, what was the percentage of, what was the ratio of students to teachers? Like how many students were in each class? And what was the, how many students went on to college? Was it a school that, was it an area where the kids were interested in, in higher education? And I don't know, because we didn't know really what we were doing. We didn't know what to ask him. So we, we, but we had prepared, we prepared some questions. Oh, oh, that was another great one. How many volumes are in the school library? (laughs) Oh, God. So we get, he introduces us to John at the door. And John looks up with those gorgeous Paul Newman blue eyes behind these spectacles. And I fell in love with him. I just instantly liked the man. We said, how do you do? We may have shaken hands with him. And then here was our interview. The next thing he says to us, the principal, he says, well, we've got two fine 10th grade English positions for you two if you want to take them. No transcript from school, no anything. We were gobsmacked. We were absolutely blown away. And before you know it, they want him to coach track and me to do the drama club. And then the next thing we knew, we were looking around for a place to rent. And then we found it down in Loxley Hall Estate. 
this darling, I think you were there, because sometimes I had the kids over. Were you, were you ever at Loxley Hall Estate's house? No. I don't know if Loxley Hall is still there. Well, I know Rosie Kabiri was there, and Jane Hunley was there, and Tommy Crowther was there, because I have a, still have a picture somewhere of them. And I, I, think, I think it must have been around the holidays, because I had eggnog. You know, I had made a big batch of eggnog. So there was a house in Loxley Hall that was on the Little Boy Comico River there, it had a dock. It had a big screened-in porch. It had a sunroom. It had a living room with a raised hearth fireplace that I used to fold up a quilt and lie on and read. It was wide enough so that you could actually, most hearths are three inches high, but this one was up. It was The, the, the fireplace was built up, and it had a big living room. It had two bedrooms and three bathrooms, a hall bathroom, and each of the bedrooms had a bathroom, and the and a nice kitchen, and the rent was $425 a month, which Linda and Jan and I split, cost Jan and me $220 a month to live, to live there. And so then comes the time when school's going to start. I've got, there were, at that point, and they don't do it as much now, but there were textbooks which covered a number of genres. You know, there were things, well, you know, because you went to school there, you know. So I had my class list, and then I had the books on the desk, and I had written a little lesson plan, like uh, call roll, ask for writing sample, pass out the books. I think pass out the books first. Give a little summary of what it would be like. Answer some questions, such as, you know, how long have you lived here, and whatever else I could think of. And then maybe it was, I think it was something like, just give me... Write a page or so, take 20 minutes, write me what your background is, how long have you lived here, whatever, what you like to do when you're not in school, what you like best about school, and so, so on and so forth. And I also had a homeroom that was older kids. And I mean, I was in 19, in 1971 to 72, correct? I was 24. So I was about five years older than the kids in my homeroom who were seniors, I think. There was a nice man we taught with who taught social studies. His name has popped out of my head for all night. But he was from West Virginia, and I think he was a hire, a new hire that year. And it took me a long time, maybe because I just just wasn't something that I paid any attention to as a person, to realize that maybe there were teaching positions, so many teaching positions, because schools had just been integrated, and therefore the some of the kids went away to different schools or moved. I can't have moved, but I was a teacher. So I don't know what happened. You all came on and later when I taught, because I did continue teaching and loving it, it turned out that I liked it. I would have had more classes. I used to put my, and later in other years, we'd sit in a circle of desks. But at that time, I was doing rows because I didn't know any better, I guess, really. And that was it. I mean, it was a wonderful year. And then we did. I know who I had Lay Charlton's father was my doctor. I thought I might be pregnant. So I went in for a pregnancy test, and his receptionist called me. I don't know if it was the same day or if it took, I don't know how, how, but she called me at home and said, yes, you are pregnant. Congratulations, Mrs. Grantney. So, but what interested me about that was when I went into school the next day, the staff congratulated me. (laughs) They found out, they found out. A couple minutes either before or after, we found out that we were pregnant. And that was the other thing. Pulling into the gas station when, when before, well, the first time we ever came down there, when Jan asked the, 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 the guy to fill up the tank, he looked at us, and I think he was chewing tobacco because I know he's fat. He turned his head, and he's fat on the ground, but he wasn't like, I must have been chewing tobacco, or I don't know what else it could have been. He was kind of leaning almost in the window, but just right at the window level. And he says, you must be the two new teachers for the high school. <laughs> so <laughs> we, it was, it was a, a good introduction to how much people knew about what at the school. No such oh, thing as no. a secret. <laughs> no, no such thing as secret in a place, in a place that that's, that's so wonderfully rural. And I, we did meet two people who were what probably would be called now sort of hippies. They lived on this farm, and I know they smoked. I know they grew and smoked dope. And he made big sculptures out of things that were thrown away on the sides of highways. He made these enormous sculptures. 
they were some people that we hung out with. And I remember the drugstore. Was that Ryan Balderson's family at the drugstore? Is a possibility. I don't and know. I remember Bobby Seville and how funny, funny, funny he was. We stood in a, a cherry tree in his yard, and he was just telling one funny story after the other. And I was eating cherries, just pulling them down off the tree. And I had the worst stomachache because I weighed too many cherries. I have only fond memories of that place, only fond memories. The only bad memory I have, and it was a horrific one, although just because it brought something home to me. I think I maybe was a bit of a Pollyanna, but in Loxley Hall, Loxley Hall had these houses that wound around in a big circle, you know, one-story houses, and in the middle, and it was, so you drove along this, first the road was, I think it was basically packed sand, and maybe there was some gravel mixed in, but when you, you went to get to the houses, you went first past these beautiful barns that were sort of starting to go into disrepair, but Jan took dozens and dozens of pictures of those barns that I still I still have the negatives for them, the slides. But one night, he woke me up and he said, what is that? What's that noise? And in the middle, it was a great big field, and there was a Ku Klux Klan meeting going on in that field with a bonfire, and all the, the people had the white sheets over their heads. I don't know how big a group it was, but we were totally horrified and freaked. But other than that, everybody, it seemed to me, I, I don't know if you were in the class when I passed the Coca-Cola. Were you in that class? I don't remember. You don't know when? Okay. It was really hot. It, so it must have been that spring. And it was after I'd known you, know, known you all for, a long, for months. It wasn't like in September. So it was, let's say, late spring, maybe April or May. I don't know. And I sent somebody down. There must have been vending machines where you could buy cold drinks. And I don't know if it was in the teacher's room, if it was in the hallway, or if you remember where it was. But I sent somebody down, possibly Rosie Kabiri, but somebody down with some quarters. Uh, however, I, I don't know if at that point it probably was a quarter for a Coke. I took a swig of it, and I passed it to the first person in the first row. And that person took a swig of it and passed it to the person behind them. But then suddenly... People were just passing it and not drinking it. And then the, uh, someone drank again. And then I shifted it into, because I was also jabbering away about whatever we were talking about in class. And what I realized was that, and I don't, I think it was the whites stopped drinking and the blacks kept sharing the bottle. And I remember saying, wait a minute, put that down. We need to talk. And I, years later, wrote about that for uh, a teaching journal in in Boston because I don't think we I don't think we talked nearly enough about it but we did have a conversation in that particular class I mean it was only one class not all of them so I wasn't having that conversation with everybody I also remember that I took a group of kids to see I think it was Jesus Christ Superstar but it was a play in Washington and we stayed on my friends we slept all over the well I slept in one of the bedrooms, but everybody, however many went up there, we camped out in my friend's apartment um, and went to see the play and then came back. And for a lot of the people, it couldn't have been that big a group. I don't know if we got a van. I don't know how we got up there. Jam would have gone too, but it would have, it was for some of them the first time they had been to the DC area, which again, sort of surprised me. But then again, I, my awareness of how rural and how really probably quite poor some of some of those families were was dim. I just wasn't. I remember it seemed to me that Jane Hundley, the, she's the veterinarian's daughter, right? Yes. She had a blonde ponytail. She seemed in a way, people seemed to, she seemed to be like a kind of a looked up to as someone who was going to go somewhere. And I remember, but look at, I mean, many of you went all sorts of wonderful places, but it was something about a veterinarian being maybe like sometime maybe around here someone would think of somebody who was an attorney or um, a politician as somebody who was making it, let's say, or was going to wind up getting out from their roots and doing something maybe more 
I don't know what, why it doesn't, making money doesn't make you important, but doing something for it. And I remember that she wound up writing about and talking about inspirational speeches. You are listening to A Pixie from Kilmonic with an interview with one of my favorite people and teachers, Dee Callanan, writer, photographer, teacher, and friend. Gazing through my young teenage eyes, she embodied what I wanted to be, free-spirited, confident, smart, and caring. A lot of you wound up living in the D.C. area. So those who had stayed in touch decided to do this tour of the Cape and Islands. And they contacted me, and Jack was still alive, so it has to have been four years ago. They contacted me to say um, they were coming. They were going to be on that. They were looking at Nantucket in the vineyard, but then they were coming down Cape, and they were staying at a hotel in East Ham, which is actually where my daughter lives, which is about a 20-minute drive north on the Cape from here. And... Jack and I wound up, they were all having having dinner at these round tables in the hotel, but we went out, we took William A. That was the other thing. I had William A. and William M. in the same class, and they sat next to each other, and they both wanted to be called William. Because <laughs> what I said, what do you like to be called? William, what do you like to be called? So I called him William A. and William M. all year. Just Who did call on a William? The two of us, did everybody do that? Yes. It wasn't just me, that's good. Oh, good. Rosie kept in touch with me for years, and then every once in a while, different people would show up, and, and, and I'd see them. And then I went to—I know I went to at least two reunions because I have a picture of me standing with William A. and William M. and Leigh and Yvonne, and both Leigh, Leigh and Yvonne, if they haven't retired, also became doctors, didn't they? Yes. I just can't believe you guys are old enough to retire, which means I'm old enough to be buried. <laughs> no, because remember, you're not that much older than we are. So you're still in the circle. Okay. Uh-huh. So, Pixie, that was a long answer to a question. A girl who had a, a bad tooth and I took her home, she was a beautiful black girl, a small framed girl with big eyes. She was really, really sort of quiet. Well, she was a sophomore, but anyway, there are plenty of sophomores who aren't shy. And her tooth was killing her and her jaw was swollen. Must have been my planning period or something. I I drove her home because I don't think there was anybody home to pick her up. She was in, as it was her nurse's office there had to have been. And she had this toothache, so I drove her home and we went down some dirt road to a teeny tiny house with a little front porch. And I thought, oh, I haven't been down this road before and I'm getting another glimpse of the variations in lifestyles of the kids I teach. And I remember it was William A., whose father I think was a chef at a big restaurant. He cooked down at, is it the Tidewater Inn? Is that possible? Yeah, the Ties Inn. Yeah, the Ties Inn. And he, and also that his, um, that I think his mother was dead and his father worked nights. And I just remember really, you know, thinking, oh, does that mean he's alone at night? And he just seemed like such a, I, he's the one I, when he stayed after school one day, um, we talked about, um, I, I, and when I think of what became of his life and what he did with his career, um, what an idiot. But here I am. I mean, I'm really so young. I said, um, I didn't know what his plans were for when he graduated from high school. But I said, if I were you, I, you know, if you can borrow some money or save up some money, you know, go to Richmond and get a, a modeling portfolio done. Because I said, I think that you could make yourself a fortune as a model. <laughs> you told that's that what to, I thought he should do. W- will you so man? handsome. To yeah. William A. Yeah. So, yeah. So beautiful, I thought. I I just thought he was really, like almost like a Greek statue. I thought he was really striking looking. So instead, he goes to see his cousin who's working at Blair House, and 
the rest is history. He gave me and Jack and our friend Cheryl Bromley-Jones, oh, and you asked about awards. Um, the only thing that, I mean, I oh, I've, I've gotten some different, like, Teacher of the Year stuff and stuff, but there was this woman, you probably remember her, Krista McAuliffe. She was a, a teacher, and she they were going to shoot her into space, but yes. it exploded, and she was killed. So there became, for a long time, there was this thing called the Krista McAuliffe Award, and they gave one per state to teachers, and then they had this big convention in Washington. And one year, I was... Um, elected the Kristen McAuliffe Fellow for the state of Massachusetts, which to me was the biggest honor I ever got. And at this thing that I went to in Washington, I met her mother. And, oh, God, that must have just been horrible for her. When I was in town for the McAuliffe thing, he met me at this restaurant outside with Jack and Wade Wilson, maybe, and we had lunch. And um, when he found out I'd never been into the White House, I mean, you can take tours, you sign up for them and stuff. He said, do you two have your driver's license? You three have your driver's license with you. And we said, yes. And he said, well, he said, come to the West Gate, went into the West door or something at 10 tomorrow morning. He gave us a tour of the White House and we were in the green room. He, he had called the president and said, you know, my teacher's here with her her husband, who was by then not Jan, but Jack and her friend. President Clinton came down, came striding into the green room and was couldn't have been, well, talk about charming and personable. And also he's stately. He was tall and he shook our hands and then he put his arm around Buddy and he said, this here's a good father. I think when he retired, he used to fly Buddy out sometimes for football games in Texas, if I have that right or else he would send him tickets for games. All I know that they used to talk about football a lot. And at the time that I, the only time I ever met Bill Clinton, I was with Buddy and uh, Hillary was, oh, she would have come down to say hello, but she was doing laps in the, the White House pool. <laughs> but I also, um, there's a, a very small golf course. It's so small. And it's, it's, it's like, if you don't know how to play golf, it's a good place in Washington to play golf because it's a three par course. The, the holes are three par. You, you, so in, they're short and it's pretty easy to, to get the ball in the hole by hitting it just from teeing off and then two more times and it's done. So I asked when he was said he was going to go off to play golf, I asked him if that was where he was going to go to play. <laughs> that was a little sort of DC in joke and he howled. He thought that was hilarious. So that's it. And other me, me in the White House, I was also standing outside the White House with a few hundred other people the day Nixon resigned. They patted on a loudspeaker, but that was before. But I must say, I, I became a teacher because of my experience, my surprise, unorthodox experience, unexpected at, um, at Northumberland High School. I remember the trip to see Jesus Christ Superstar. I thought that was Mrs. Catherine Scott that took the students, but it was you. It was I. It was I, unless she also, were we on a bus? Unless she also came. I mean, okay. I have just, I all I know is I took kids and we, we saw it and that they were wowed and that maybe one, there was one parent who thought, I was explaining about communes because of not something from the play, but something else. Some parents said that I was, the principal called me and said, just in case you hear anything about this, I know you aren't a communist. <laughs> I said, oh, what? <laughs> uh, you've been talking about communes and some parent thinks you're a communist. <laughs> Which is why I was referring to seeing the play. What were some of your most uh, pleasant memories of teaching at Northumberland? You just all seemed so open to anything you just seemed so eager and so really well behaved and I mean only later did I realize that that's not always the case you were respectful and polite and friendly and I don't remember ever there being any difficulty about anything I remember that I probably without getting I, I put on the play it was it must have been Charlie Brown or something and that I adapted it and 
sort of took from the script and made my own. It was either Winnie the Pooh or Charlie the Brown. Charlie Brown. Rosie would probably remember. But that it just turned out that I love teenagers. <laughs> and, you know, I still do. I just, I just wound up really being um, excited to watch kids read things they hadn't read before and write and improve their writing and give speeches and do plays. It was just a an accidental entrance, an unex, unanticipated or unplanned for shift in what I then did with the majority of my life and I'm still doing. <laughs> so it just goes to show you never know. I expected to be in a newspaper for the rest of my life. What teachers were helpful in helping you to adjust to teaching? Actually, none. I mean, later, when I went to taught at other schools, there'd be a head of a department, and then there would be a curriculum, there would be a book room, and there would be a list of reading books. This is what we cover. These are the types of essays we cover, or these are the kinds of things. That, this is the skill level we hope them to have by this grade or that grade, and this is the stuff for the college for college prep. If, you know, let, let's hope everybody wants to go to college, but let's include these, even though they, they may just leave school and go to work after 12th grade um, because everybody is, deserves the opportunity. I didn't get handed, I got handed an empty register book where I wrote your names in and where I put my grades in. I don't remember a faculty meeting. I, it wasn't until I taught in Northern Virginia that I went to like an English faculty meeting with people who taught other grades of English and there was a head of the department and they would talk about how's it going and what should we do about this or that. And um, I didn't, that, I didn't miss it because I didn't know it was there to miss. I mean, I, I've taught in schools where I have to keep my lesson plan. I have to have my lesson plans done. I had to have my lesson plans done for the next, let's say, week. And it would be written out. And it would be, and if anybody wandered into my room to observe me, and the principal might do that, or the assistant principal, or the head of the department, or sometimes after a while, because I just wound up being pretty good at this teaching stuff, they would send new teachers in to sit in my class and watch what I was doing and see how it was set up. But I I didn't know I was missing any of it because I didn't know that that was part of what could happen. I didn't know that there were lesson plan books. I didn't, you know, so it really, maybe I liked it so much because you guys were fun and you seemed, you, you were, co- it didn't seem, you were cooperative. It, I could have had a whole other experience and that would have been just that one fluky year and I would have gone off to England and carried on going back to journalism or something. But it was just really just luck, I think. I lucked out with the school, with the county, with the kids. And, I mean, I'm sure if I went to Mr. Durham with any issues, he would have been very helpful. But I don't remember going to him with any issues. Although Jan chose never to teach again after that, he also enjoyed it. I just think maybe you were just little sort of combination angels, fairies, just... (laughs) that we were just blessed with accidentally. Well, I'm going to say something. And because I I never knew as about you that much other than what was presented to me in class because I was one of those kids that, you know, never really went anywhere. I heard about going to see Jesus Christ Superstar and I mm-hmm. wanted to and for the longest time people who know me now know that every season I used to play that album because of that. Oh. Yes, I did. Because I believe Mrs. Scott, she played it in our English class when I was Mm -hmm. uh, juniors, maybe senior. Mm -hmm. From then on, I always played it in honor of her. But what I started out in segregated school then there was the freedom of choice, which was the year 1969. And I elected to stay with the black school, which was Central. That next year, they changed Central into North Dumbling Junior High School. They changed right. all of the black schools or either closed the black schools. Then the year that 
my sophomore year was the year that you were my teacher. Up until that time, there was a black one side, white one side. Freedom of choice was really the choice of black students going to white schools. And I don't think it ever was a suggestion that the white kids were going to leave the white schools to come to a black school. And you're right, there probably were uh, vacancies because once they had the forced integration, a lot of the kids that probably would have been in our school systems, they went to private schools. A lot of the black teachers probably didn't get rehired to teach in the white school, now the integrated school. So I'm listening to your background, and you were probably a very cosmopolitan uh, uh, person because you have been all over the world because of your dad's career, Mm -hmm. his occupation. You didn't really say much about your mom, but she was, if she was a military wife, was she? My mother, my mother was a military wife, but my mother was was born in Ireland. She was raised in England. She met my father in Italy because she worked for the BBC. And during the war, during World War II, and after it ended, she was um, a BBC. Uh, for, she worked in Naples, Italy, for for the BBC radio. So, um, just to Jesus Christ Superstar for a minute. Now I think I remember. I was. I was in, I was, I ran a drama club after school, and I think it's the drama club that went to Jesus Christ Superstar. I think it came out of the kids in the drama club, which is where we put on those little plays, and which is definitely where I got to know Rosie, Rosalie. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I, yeah, I, I was, there were, I was never in a school that only had white people as a student. And I don't think, I, I was clueless in terms of, now, I marched. I, I marched in Washington. I marched in other places as well. And I was there on the mall when Martin Luther King delivered his speech. So I was involved, but down into the Northern Neck, I didn't realize how newly the school was integrated. I was, I just accepted that there you all were. Nobody took me aside and said, well, you know, this is a recent change. In fact, when we had, we had one of the reunions down at some fancy place. And I, when I walked in, Somebody said quietly, standing there with this little drink in his hand, and said, you know, there was a time not long ago when we wouldn't have been allowed in this building. That's the class reunion where we was at Indian Creek. That's the one that... Okay, we, Indian Creek. And that's, yeah. that was the one that, that I helped to put together. It was great. And it was the first time, and now I think now it's a tradition. There are lots of places that we were never, we being black, the black students, black people, the black population, would not have been allowed to be entertained, uh, come as a guest, or as a mixed uh, group of people. That that would not have happened. So yes, that's I, that was the last time I saw you. I think that was the first time I had seen you since I left high school when we were at Indian wow. Creek. That was the first mm-hmm. time. So just going back to that, you know, you were unaware of all of this until the the soft drink, the Coca Cola, when you noticed. Yep, right. So what did you do? What What was the talk? Well, it, you know, if I could ever, if I, 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 there's this woman named Sharon Hartley who used to be connected to this educational journal in Boston, and if she has back issues, I could find. I could find out what I wrote because it's very hazy, but I, I wasn't then when I, I wrote it for her, but I, the, that was the anecdote that talked about how we need to have conversations. We need to learn about one another, whatever the type of difference we have. 
I'm sure I said something about this cannot go on and you need to think about it. And you, I will I will not allow this kind of behavior in here. But it was, it was, I'm sure brief was half my life, more than half my life ago. So, but I would have not, I would not have been ranting. I would have not have taken long. I was now, if that happened, there's a lady in my neighborhood book group who I know doesn't like Jewish people. Now, there are no Jewish people, it just so happens, in this neighborhood, on this street. There's plenty of Jewish people on Cape Cod, but she never says it overtly. But now that I'm the age in my own skin, probably as mature as I'm going to get, I, I hope. <laughs> or maybe I don't hope, I mean, I hope I am mature. This is one thing that's causing still horrible rifts in this world. I suggest you join a group and get your act together and see. I said, I bet you don't even know know a Jewish person. I bet you've never had a real heart-to-heart conversation with a Jewish person, but you've decided that all these things about Jews, which are just completely ridiculous. So, I don't know. Immigrants, you know, that we were all immigrants. Even, Even the Native American Indians, they came across the Bering Strait. It was frozen. They came across from where Mongolia is, and then filtered down. It's, we're all immigrants here. This country is a country made of immigrants from all sorts of other countries and backgrounds. So there's nobody who's, I would like to maybe get my DNA done and, done and find out what I have in there besides what I know I have, which is some grandparents and great-grandparents in England and Ireland. But, to, you know, James Baldwin, I don't know if you've read much James Baldwin or ever heard him speak, but he really... He's so right. It's just nonsense. All of it is nonsense. Part two of my interview is the teacher and the student recounting memories and hopes for the future. The music by Robert A. Hall. This interview is dedicated to all the teachers of the Northumberland County and Lancaster County public school systems. Thank you for listening.